And, uh, um, and so I, I'll just tell this story. Um, my mother passed away last month on the 7th. And, um, and I, um, it, it was just a wonderful, wonderful event. Uh, it's quite weird, but it was. Um, it was the culmination of her life and um, the gifts that she had given her children. And um, all of us had scattered our own ways, and during this process, we were all brought back together in one place, and we were able to uh, walk with her through her final days. And um, and then there was the process of sorting through stuff, you know, her personal effects and things, and found um, little mementos of hers, of her life, you know. And uh, my mother was abandoned when she was a child, you know, dropped off at the grandparents' house and left. And uh, I never knew where my mother's faith came from, but I know it saved my ass, you know. And, uh, and um, here she was, abandoned, living, and I knew my grandparents, and they weren't. They were real loving people. Um, and uh, at a young age, I think she was 16 or 17, and we found her Bible, and we found her um, uh, some notes, uh, a, a, an article she had written for, I believe it was either a school paper, some kind of paper, she had written a note about her faith in God. Yeah. And um, my, my mother lived with that faith through her entire life, and her life was not easy. And I truly mean that yeah, I believe it was her prayer that kept me alive and going long enough to get here. Um, but they were drunks. Yeah, that's what I'll put it. But they, uh, I, and, and the, the new pair of glasses. Um, I used to think at one time I'll tell a story about um, we moved like 26 times in eight years after my mother married my stepfather. We just moved. Like every two months, we were moving somewhere. Sometimes across town, sometimes across halfway across the, the country. Just you know, whatever needed to be done. And uh, um, one time we landed in Chico, and um, we were broke, of course. And um, and my father taught us how to find a home when you didn't have one. And you go, you drive around town till you find the the, the empty house that looks the worst. And then you go to the county courthouse and you find out who owns that sucker. And you go to them and you make a deal that, you know, because you'll let us move in there. And we had, you know, the, the three, four kids and, and the old beat-up car. And you drive up to their house and they would feel sorry for us and let us move into that little house. And we would, you know, make the deal. We're going to paint this house, you know. And uh, so we landed in Chico. And uh, we did that. We had, um, in those days, you could actually get the utilities turned on without a deposit, you know, you just went in there and did it and it turned them off. So we had electricity and gas, but we didn't have no money yet. And uh, so we went doing one of the things, we enjoyed in the valley here a lot, you drive around until you find food, you know. And um, up there we were driving around and it was late in the afternoon and the only thing we could find was, uh, um, there was a field there that we found and it had some little mustard grains in it. And so we took our little paper bags of kids and went out and picked mustard things, you know. And we drive a little farther and there was uh, an apple tree, so we got ourselves a few apples. And they had black walnuts all over Chico. I don't know if they still do, but they did then. Hard as heck to break, to open up, but we could get them out if you tried hard enough. And, uh, and that's what we had for dinner, you know. And um, I realize now that they were just trying to show us how health food is, you know. Yeah. 
know, and that's the new pair of glasses that she gave me. You know, the, the whole thing has changed. So. And, and it's because I saw my mother's undying faith in, in, in her God, you know, that she carried with her and lived with through everything that went on in her life. And um, I left home when I was, uh, I tried experimenting, of course, when I was about 12, something like that. I had lots of cousins, and most of them were criminals. And uh, but anyway, I started drinking, dabbling, whatnot. It was the 60s. And we were actually living up around the San Francisco Bay Area at that point in time. So a lot of things were going on, you know. And, uh, and I was actually uh, raised by alcoholics. My real father was just a mean and nasty man. Just a drunk, angry drunk. And, uh, and I was never going to be a drunk. I was not going to be a drunk like them. And, uh, and it's the 60s, so I was doing other things. And, but I was always drinking. I always had the beer with it, you know. I always had the, 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 the I always drank the wine, the Colt 45, whatever it was. But I wasn't going to, I wasn't drunk like them. And um, they, uh, we wound up in Visalia. I was 17 and a half, uh, last quarter of my senior year. And uh, they decided they were leaving again. And, uh, and I just was done, and uh, I had a family here in town, an aunt, a great aunt, and I made a deal with her. I stayed with her until I graduated from high school, got my diploma, and, uh, and then I went for a manpower training program for diesel mechanics. That was my goal, to be a diesel mechanic, and I uh, uh, started this manpower program, and there I met some people that were going to affect my life for many years to come. And one of them is now today, probably my oldest, oldest and dearest friend. And um, but we uh, embarked on it. He was a fellow born in uh, Dinova but raised in Mexico. And so he had some things going on down there. And his dad had a traditional um, factory on Sierra Cortez down um, on the west coast of Mexico. And. Uh, and so we began a little journey into illicit drugs and, and that carried on for about eight years and, and life was just wonderful. Yeah. There were speedboats and there were motorcycles and there was sailboats in San Francisco and three houses in three different places and it was just a matter of going from place to place. We had everything I wanted and just fun, fun, fun. And then one day, uh, a friend of mine, um, his daughter died, and, and his daughter died um, from an overdose, and, uh, and and I felt like that maybe I played a part in that, and, uh, and so I quit, and uh, and I quit all that fun stuff, and um, but by then. Um, there's a, there's a word in here, another word in here, that uh, really got my attention when I got here and read it and heard it the first time, and it's called The Rapacious Creditor. And uh, so I quit that, running around and uh, was going to live the good life, and I had a girlfriend, we had some kids, and, and just going to straighten up and do it right. And when I quit, um, the only thing I had left out of it by the time all was said and done was a real bad habit. Real bad habit. 
and, and, and that habit um, took everything else there was left um, that relationship every, every dollar that I had and um, my health and um, it uh, didn't leave me for years but the process of the uh, of, of freeing myself from that habit to another habit um, alcohol was readily available free and accepted and, and so I just started drinking more and then uh, before long I um, I had become well acquainted um, in, in, the, in the dictionary uh, the, the actual definition of an alcoholic is one who is addicted to alcohol and uh, by the time all was said and done after my 20-year run with uh, everything that I was doing, um, I was the true um, dictionary definition of an alcoholic. I could not not drink. Yeah. And um, by that time, um, I had nothing left. Um, there were a couple of marriages, many jobs. Um, certainly my health wasn't any better. Um, the only people that really wanted me were the police. Um, uh, but the end of it, the very tail end of it, was uh, um, towards the tail end of it, four years before I finally quit. Um, I had um, gotten drunk, riding a motorcycle, and uh, took it down and uh, wound up on my uh, mom and dad's couch, you know, waiting to heal up. And so I learned to walk again, and uh, and I did learn how to walk because the liquor store was about a mile down the road. And when they quit giving me the pain pills, I walked down there. You know, I get to the liquor store, and uh, and that lasted for a while. And uh, then one day, my my dad, man, loved me to death, loved me to death, and taught me so much that I use today that I just didn't give him enough credit for yeah, we argued one time about me coming home from school and learning how to work on washers and dryers I don't want to work on washers and dryers how come I have to do that and he said because you can go anywhere and you can get a job working on washers and dryers because <laughs> if somebody if everybody if, if they don't got one they want one <laughs> and that caused a big rip for about a year between me and him when I was 16, 17, 18 years old and somewhere around in there and uh, I utilized that skill for the rest of my life um, and it actually got me into the position that I'm in today um, and uh but one day, um, after I'd laid on their couch, I think it was probably six, eight months, I'd learned how to walk again. My knee was okay again, my hip was okay, and I could get around. And so by then I was drinking again. And um, I'll just tell you what he told me. He, one day he said, hey Dave, um, I need you to go for a drive with me. Why don't you go for a ride with me? Okay, Dad. Uh, we get in the car, and we're living in Visalia. And he drives and drives out towards Calary here, and, and he's, uh, he's trying to talk serious shit, you know, he's trying to talk about real stuff, you know. Hey, you're a wonderful guy, Dave, you know, you know, you know I love you, you know, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and he explained to me that, uh, 
He said, David, you're like a time bomb. You're a wonderful person. You do so good. Even when you're drinking most of the time, you do so good. So it's just like living with a time bomb. We never know when you're going to go off. And everything just falls apart. And we continued on, and he got um, just uh, past Bardsley out there and uh, pulled the car over the stop sign. And he says, and Dave, this is where you're going to get out. And you can't come home no more. And he said to me, I won't have you doing that to my wife anymore. And, uh, and he meant it. Yeah, he meant it. And, uh, that man did not, uh, was not in my presence. Um, for the next eight years, he, uh, did not and would not be in my presence. Um, for, um, about two years and three months after I got sober, he finally, finally, um, came to believe that I might stay sober and allow me to be in his presence again. And, uh, so I wandered around and, um, he actually knew what he was doing because we were he was he was building houses and there was a subdivision over there where he was building some houses and they were kind of parked for a while and he knew that's where I would go and so I went and um, camped in one of the houses we were building and what the heck that was safe somewhere and it wasn't finished had no plumbing no you know, electricity or nothing but it was a, it was shelter. And um, as time went by, um, whatever I did then, I don't know. I, I'm sure I drank, and I know I had ways to drink, and I always had a hustle of some kind. And, but I wound up east of Visay out on 198 um, looking for work, and there was a second-hand furniture store out there. And um, this, uh, I walked into it, and there was this old man sitting there, the dad, and so I started chit-chatting with him. And, Telling him what my plan was, that I'd make him some money to let me work on his washers and dryers. And, um, and um, I did not know at the time that he actually knew my dad. But um, he was an old retired Nazarene minister, and then kept me alive for the next four years. Um, he allowed me to sleep, and there was an abandoned pump house behind the store. And he allowed me to sleep out there on this little wood rack. And every once in a while, if I was really good and being consistent, I could come in the store at night, take my own room. And, 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 and he learned my ways. And, and, and as time went by, um, he realized that when I made money, I didn't come back. You know? And so we made a deal that he would just give me $5 in the morning. And I'm ready to get a pack of cigarettes at half punch. And then at noon, he would give me another $5. And I'd get another half pint and a pack of cigarettes. Whatever. And then at night, he'd give me $10. And I'd get a pint and two bone brow darts. And I, and I was in, you know. There was a little refrigerator back there that had sandwich stuff in it. You know. And, uh, but the time bomb, the bomb kept going off every once in a while, you know. Every so often the bomb would just go off and, and, and everything was all Everything was all apart. I wanted to think, I was going to bring it to you because I have a picture of, my, of the last time I was arrested of my mugshot. And when, by then I had got 
good enough friends with people that do that in jail that, you know, one of the trustees that I knew him from being in jail and I talked to him out of the little strip because I, I was too drunk to get my head right, left, right, left, you know. And so he kept having to retake them so he got it right. And so I talked to him out of one of them and I blew it up into a um, little eight and a half by eleven. And uh, keep it on my office wall. I don't invite just anybody into my office. Uh, good picture. Reminds me. Um, and uh, but this old retired Nazarene minister, and, and he would, and he allowed me to do that. And, um, and there were and through the next four years while I was interacting with him. Um, there were there were many times that we had many talks. You know, that he did his very best to explain to me um, in a spiritual way um, what I might, how I might solve my problem. And during that time, I had decided that I was going to. I needed a, I needed a driver's license. Yeah, I had a driver's license. I've had one years. But I was going to go to this drunk driving school. So I started going to this drunk driving school. And um, and I just couldn't pull it off right, you know, because it was like in the afternoon, yeah. And you're not supposed to go drinking. And and, and then I had important stuff going on, you know, and, and, but I'd not always miss. And they would throw me out of drunk driving school, and I'd have to go back to court, and then go reapply and start over. You know, I'm going to this kind of six eight month drunk driving school, and it's two and a half years down the road, and I'm still going. Yeah. And it got so pathetic that she actually gave me permission to write my own excuses. I couldn't pull it off. And um, then one day, um, and actually the progression of the disease was continuing on, and, and um, I had gotten thrown out of drunk driving school one more time, and I had to this time, and it was because of the judge in Dinuba. And he didn't like me anyway. But I, so I had to go over there, and I had been there many times. And um, the last time I had been there, um, the uh, bailiff, when I got done with the judge, I walked over to get my paperwork signed, and the bailiff just looked at me and said, "I don't believe it." He says, "If you ever come in here, smell like that again." He says, "I'm going to send you right back up in front of the judge." And I knew. So they throw me out of drunk driving school. I'm going to have to go back to Dinuba to go to this thing. My court things at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. What am I going to do? I'm an alcoholic. I cannot not drink. So I catch the bus and I go to Dinuba and I don't drink. And I don't drink. And I'm just fantastic. And I'm starting to quiver and feel sick. and. Um, I go through my court thing, and he says, Now I want you to go back to that drunk driving school, and I want you to reapply for this thing uh, so, today. So I catch the bus back, and then I have to walk from the bus station to the thing over on Caldwell, and by that time it's hot, I'm sick, and uh, and by that time, that man at the liquor store that has been seeing me for years from the time I was hobbling down with my bad leg till now has been selling me alcohol almost on a daily basis 
and it was right where I had the credit account if I got really tight but by this time the man is not selling me um, he's selling me the alcohol but by this time with my night purchase he's giving me TV dinners he's trying to give me some food trying to keep me alive when I was down 137 pounds my hair was falling out with some malnutrition and uh, things weren't looking good so here I am sitting in the drunk driving school office and uh, shaking sick looking like I'm about ready to die and uh, this lady one of us DM, was running the place at the time and, and I walk in and I'm sitting there in the whole thing waiting and finally she walks through the door and she just gets that, that look that, that, that of amazement that, that people give you sometimes sometimes it might be your mother or your wife or somebody else you know, how long are you going to freaking do this you know and then that's pretty much what she says she says aren't you done yet yeah what's it going to take yeah and she took me into her office and assigned me some more money and told me I had to go to extra meetings and it's heavy <laughs> I can't go to more meetings. I don't, I don't even have a driver's license. And she says, I don't get a shit walk. And I'll go see Jerry. And luckily, this man named Jerry D., one of us, was, had been my counselor all along. And he had had this one line through all this time. Um, when you get done, because he always told me, he says, David, when, when, you, when you get tired, uh, you get all the, you, I can get you some help there. I can get you some help. And I said, you know, I got some things to do. Huh? I got things going on out here. <laughs> at, at, at this day, um, this day I had nothing going on out there. <laughs> there was nothing left. I had no nothing left in here. And, uh, and so I said, okay. Um, and, and he, he just pushed it through and, and got me on the list, you know, on, on a waiting list. I'm in this room dying, shaking and quivering, and they're telling me, now go park yourself and call us every morning. We'll see if we can get two gigs. Yeah. Yeah, no. And Mr. Ward, Art, he's passed now. Um, he knew what was going on. Yeah, and, and, um, so we made a deal and he was only going to give me $10 a day. Five in the morning and five in the evening. And where I could keep myself well enough to, to wait. And, um, and I waited about two weeks and um, the pressure just got too much. Just got too much. Just got way too much. And I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want to do it anymore. I wasn't going to play anymore. The game was over. So I stole that man's truck and I loaded it up with his furniture and I went to where I knew if I could get what I wanted. And I sold that furniture and I got what I wanted and I thought it would be enough. I had OD'd three times in my life and I figured I knew how to do it. So I bought everything necessary. And uh, it worked. Next morning, I find, I find myself out there laying out in the middle of Cutler Park, about to get run over by a lawnmower. Yeah. And I look up, and there's, there's the truck, and, and the door's open. And uh, 
and all my stuff all over the place. And luckily one more time from previous experience, I knew the man that ran Cutler Park because I had mowed that lawn many times myself. Yeah. And uh, so I went over to the shack and asked if I could borrow his phone and figured all I'm going to do now is call Art. And the police will be here and everything is cool. Somebody will take care of me. And uh, Art says, don't go anywhere. I'll be right there. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, well, within 10 15 minutes, Art pulls up. And this is an old man. And then you know Cutler Park on the back side there. It's a little hill coming down to where he sat down there from the river. And he's hobbling down this thing. I think he's going to fall over. And, 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 he, and he's waving this thing in his hand. And he's saying, David, David, guess what? You'll never guess what. And he just kind of asked what? And, and I've been calling this place every day for, for a bet, right? And no luck. And, 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 he, and guess what? Guess what? I what? And he says, they got a bed for you. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, I'll need to go by, by the shop and, and get my clothes and stuff. And he says, oh, no, they're in the car. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the car here. We'll, we'll take you right now. <laughs> and, uh, and that began um, not my first attempt at recovery, but that began, um, that was my desperate time in recovery. I had tried previously in 19, uh, 1980, and the, the bizarre part is, is that it's 1989 at this time, and 1980 I had gone into this facility to try and get sober state 15 days, got healthy enough to leave and left on this journey to go find God because that's what they said you needed to find God so I was going to go find God and uh, so I got drunk on the way and, uh, and then in 1985 at the behest of this woman that I married and her family and my family they uh, a little intervention type thing they suggested I go away for a while <laughs> and, and, and I went to a place called Teen Challenge and I stayed there for six months. Um, none of them uh, were uh, desperate and, and, and because of my own making or my own choices. Um, serious, they weren't. But this time I knew that I was going to die. And I knew that I wanted to die. And it was okay. I just didn't want to play the game anymore. And, uh, and um, so they dropped me off and I'm filling out this form. The only question I remember on it was the question, and I know that this is when I made my decision. I just said, we've made a decision. And this is when I made my decision. I was filling out that form, and it said, are you willing to do it our way? And that's the only question I stopped on it, and I thought about it. Yeah, okay, I'll do it their way. No matter what they ask me to do, I'm going to do it, and that's just... We'll see what happens. This don't work. I can figure it out later. And um, and, and I so I checked in, and um, the same room, the same building that I left ten years before, same place. And this time I found God right where I had left him. And. Uh, and that, that's how it began. At that point in time, uh, my, my uh, conception of life, my conception of love, my conception of people, my conception of God was so distorted and twisted 
that um, I could neither label it or define it properly. Um, um, time went by. Um, I stayed there. I did everything to the best of my ability. As I said earlier, the only thing I've done perfectly is not drink. Um, I did everything to the best of my ability. Um, within 90 days, I was in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and we actually uh, stayed together and, and um, she was involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and um, we remained married for five years. So we got married in a couple of years and, and we stayed married for a couple of years and then we began the divorce. Um, the good news is that we both stayed sober through it. And one of the reasons I firmly believe that is that she had this Nazi sponsor that um, hit me against the wall when we started uh, in this relationship. She says, well, this is the way it works. And she says, I don't give a shit about you so much. She says, but uh, I've been working with her for a while. She had a year more than me. And, and she said, um, you just cut her chances of staying sober about in half now. She says, so I think you ought to step up and, and go to a few extra meetings. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, there's a couple of meetings. Why don't you go to that one too? Yeah. And, uh, and we did. And we stepped it up and, and we stayed close to the program. Unfortunately, the relationship did not work out. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was a mistake. It, it, was, it was all part of the great adventure of life. Because um, since I've been here, there have been many things that have been part of my adventure that um, helped me through the process of what it calls and talks about in this book of smashing all of our old ideas. Now, I got here in 30, 60, 90 days. I figured I had it down. Yeah. I no longer was going to do that. I was going to do this. I was going to live like this. I was going to do that. Little did I know that um, that I still didn't have the coping skills and the mechanisms within me to be able to live in, in, in uh, a design for living that works. I was still relying on old ideas and concepts about love and, and things that, um, that I had to process and still have to process to a certain degree. But in the early days, I it was tough. It was, it was tricky and hurtful at times to me and others. And um, so we stayed married for five years, and um, it was my fifth birthday, actually. Fifth birthday, when uh, I grabbed a bag of clothes and walked out. And I went and stayed at my sponsor's house, and, uh, and um, realized that... Uh, and I, at that moment in time, at that very moment in time, I no longer believed in you. I no longer believed in this program. I thought, God, that's your dirty hand. I've been going to all these meetings. I've been doing all this stuff. I've been praying. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it's not working. I didn't drink. I didn't drink. And um, that was because of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. The next morning, I got up from my sponsor's house and I went to a morning meeting at the Alana Club and this man that I almost virtually did not know. You know he was more friends with my wife than he was with me. And, um, and I was in the meeting and I had shared a little bit about what was going on. And um, the meeting was over and he walked past me and, and I heard a clink clink on the table in front of me. And I looked and it was, it was a it was a key with a little note on it. And it said, it had an address on there, and it says, um, the hallway, second door on the right. And, uh, and I caught him outside, and, then, and we talked a little bit, and he said, yeah, he said, why don't you just take that little and, and, and that was Mr. Um, 
Boston Paul. And uh, Boston Paul played uh, the um, the Eskimo in my life for um, the next uh, probably ten years of my experimentation and perpetration of my uh, adventure on others. And I was desperate to get married again. And this time to someone that was new in recovery. And, uh, yeah, it kind of was. I don't, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a mistake. And it hurt. It was terrible. It was terrible for me and for her. And um, it lasted a couple of years. And, and finally, I, I, I survived it and got out of it. And uh, that process of um, character building... Um, uh, I think I truly believe that sometimes the greatest leaps that I have made in recovery have been when things were the most painful and I was the most willing to surrender and let God and, and when I realized the reality of the proof that my best thinking when I was using was deadly my best thinking when I was sober was uh quite frightful and hurtful to people and um, again smashing those old ideas the reevaluation of what love is what I am what I'm not what God is and what he's not what he's going to do for me and what he's not I took that last promise page 83 and 84 the big book last promise and I'd read it for years will suddenly realize that God will, will do for you what you cannot do for yourself and I kept giving him lots of responsibility and things he was supposed to do and did not know that there were so many things that I was responsible to do for myself. And, um, and it's, I, I, all of those events in my life um, truly um, are what have made my life and made me who I am today. Um, I believe that they were not mistakes. I believe they were part of my adventure to help me and to facilitate the smashing of my old ideas. I just kept hanging on to concepts that I knew better, that, that surely this was going to work out, that that must be God's will for me, because I want it. And it doesn't always work that way. And uh, so time, you know, goes by, and, and I, I, I didn't drink no matter what, no matter what. And I and there were times when at three o'clock in the morning I'm rocking on the bed, you know, trying to make that decision. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't do nothing. I just rock on this bed and I rock on that bed. And then at five thirty, six o'clock, the lawn club will be open in a little while, and I go sit in the chair at the lawn club and not want to be there, not want to be there, go there, and not want to be there, but I just stay. Just glue my ass to that chair and stay. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and it would pass. Someone would come and sit next to me. This old um, um, John, John C. Uh, he would come and sit next to me on the bench. Yeah. And, and with just a few words, I would know I was safe again. There's someone with me. There's someone here that knows what I did and they don't hate me. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the way Alcoholics Anonymous has worked for me. I didn't drink no matter what, and I kept coming no matter what. And, and I read the book, and I, and I did my best, my very best. 
and I lived through my mistakes. And um, and it has given me the ability to um, today to make uh, choices and decisions in my life based on real facts and not the things that are going on in my head. I've learned how to label my feelings and label my fears and know that I have them and know that they're God-given and that I don't have to be guilty. I don't have to feel shameful or guilty that I have fear. It's actually a healthy little thing. It causes me to search for the answer. And as I was saying when I first got here that the secret is in the search. And as long as I'm looking for the right answer and I'm looking in the right places, I will find it. As long as I'm not drunk, I can find it. Um, and uh, I'm just gonna, that's what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me in terms of my disease and, and getting to, um, to the point that um, today, I live, uh, today I live a wonderful and blessed life. Much better than I ever thought and better than I deserve. Um, in the last, uh, it's been an eventful few months for me. Um, uh, my mother was 81 years old, and about Christmas time, day before Christmas, she started having little events, and things started going from not things started going downhill from there. And um, she finally passed on the seventh. So um, I'm self-employed, which is you know uh, quite a blessing, quite a blessing for me because uh, I was able to um, take the time to um, to be with her quite often and. and, and um, most of my customers yeah, never mind I'll go in there I was able to be there I chose to be there I was able to be there and um, um, I'm self-employed today I have a home I don't live in an abandoned wellhouse I have a God, a higher power that I believe in and trust. I don't understand and I don't understand some of the things that go on. But I know that if I do, the next indicated thing and apply the principles, that in the process of that is that somewhere down the road it will be revealed to me why I did what I did. That was taught to me one time when I was five years for fifth birthday, my divorce. I'm in a meeting, I'm crying. This man, uh, my boss had thrown me out of work. Said, "You can't come around the machinery today." They would go away. So I went to the noon meeting. This is after the morning meeting. I went to the noon meeting, and there was a fellow sharing. And he got up. The meeting was over, and he got up and walked past me. And my mind just clicked. Wow, he just went through a divorce. And about a year before, he had been sharing that he had gone through a divorce. So I followed him out the parking lot. He took me over to his shop and sat down and talked with me and said, David, I can't change what you're going to feel. I can't change what you're going to have to go through. He says, but I can tell you that in a year from now, you're going to understand. And all my mind is, I can't do this no year, you know. And, uh, but in a year from then, I understood. And I knew the reason that that was not a mistake. It was exactly what needed to happen for and to me so that I would be forced to do the, um, the introspective look into who I really am. And um, as I said today, that the events of my life, that passing of my mother, to be able to be there and walk with her, because I know that there were endless nights that she sat there and prayed for me when I was lost. 
I know that for a fact. And um, the gift, um, the gift that, that, that of her faith is just, is just astounding right now that, that she actually went through all the things and she went through all this stuff and, and, and carried that faith and lived with it and, and nurtured it all of her life. And um, to watch the culmination of um, on her deathbed um, after the family's siblings coming back together and joining and, um, and reuniting the relationships that were that long since dissipated into distance and, and lack of communication and uh, the things that are important in life. And I got to be there. You know, I'm the guy that never was around family events, funerals, birthdays, parties of any kind. I just didn't do that stuff. And um, and also, um, I got married like three weeks ago. Yeah. There's a wonderful girl over there. And, and I, I can tell you for sure that that was not my plan. <laughs> my sponsor told me straight up that, that my picker was broken and I best leave that alone. And then you read in the book here where it talks about perhaps some of us are better off being single. <laughs> but um, Kathy and I have done quite well together and um, we're really enjoying life together. And, uh, and so I hope anybody that's new here that, um, or you know, anybody that's having difficult times, because believe me, when my mom passing, there were times when during the beginning of the process and stuff um, that, that when I was not going to work, I was going to, to see her, and, and then I would leave her, and I would feel guilty for leaving her, and I would feel guilty for not working, and I would just back and forth and back and forth. What do I do? Where's the money going to come from for this? Where's, you know, all this stuff. And, and the thing that carried me through was, you know, I've never, ever, just like the man walking by me and throwing a key on the table that I barely even knew, I have never, my needs have always been met since I've been here. Everything. Not my wants, but my needs have been met. And I firmly believe in this power that when I got here, what's he done for me? Look at my life. So, if you knew or you're struggling with some hard times, difficult times, yeah, don't give up. Don't try. Keep coming to the meetings. Grab the book. Talk to somebody. Shake their hand. They're, you know, we're here. Yeah, just as those who've been here for me, we're all here for each other. Um, I. And I hope you give yourself a break. Because it wasn't until I surrendered and made that decision that I was able to start grasping and learning what this program has to offer. And it truly is a design for living that works. You never, ever have to drink again. And that's, uh, I did not understand that the first time somebody said that in a meeting. Because uh, I could not not drink. So I guess.